going to start this series off, and we're, we're in a day and age where we are a very risk-averse society. You say, what do you mean? We live in a society where we try to not only avoid any risk, if at all possible. Some of you are involved in maybe your company has a matching 401k plan and they bring in the guy that says, okay, how much do you want to invest? And they say, hey, do you want to go uh, moderate? Do you want to go safe? How, or do you want to go aggressive with your money that you're going to invest? And some of you, you're like, I want to go aggressive. But then many of us are like, oh, no, 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 safe safe. I want to keep my money and then make just a little bit extra. Or some of you, you invest in the stock market and, and you're not looking for those, uh, for those uh, big, you know, blue chips. You're just like, hey, I'm just going to play kind of safe. I just want something that's really safe. My grandparents for a long time, they were involved in the stock market and uh, they, they kind of helped out with our college and they invested into lotter. And you say, what is lotter? That's penning. That's what they call penning, lotter. And so that's what they invested into. They thought, hey, that's not going away. That's, that's, that's not, you know, when they started, they were like, what is the safest thing? People are still going to need pen ink, so we're going to invest in pen ink. Not a very sexy market, but I mean, that's just kind of what they got involved in because they wanted that, that safe because they were risk averse. They were pain averse. I am very much against pain. Some people, you like the adage, no pain, no gain. No, no, no. For me, it's no pain, no pain. <laughs> we don't, the game, let's just skip pain. I, I, I want the game, but no pain, all right? I go to the dentist, and I'm just like, uh, they give me the shot of Novocaine. No, no, we need like two or three more. Matter of fact, do you have some gas to just knock me out or something like that? And it's my mother-in-law, and so she's like, no, that costs money. Just, you're going to deal with it. Just man up. And uh, so she's my dentist, and she does all the dental work. And when I go to the doctor, I always ask him, hey, is this going to hurt? You know, I mean, is there anything you can do to, like, numb it, to help with the pain? And then there's um, Jane, my wife. She has the most amazing pain tolerance. Our first child, she went for about six hours with nothing. She was like, I'm just going to handle this. But it came to a point when you're pushing out a 10-pound baby that you need drugs, all right? You need every kind of drug. I mean, get the street pharmacist in here, you know, get your hook up here. You need some drugs. And so she handled it for six hours, but then with 12 hours of labor, you know, you're going to need some drugs. She, she has a very high pain tolerance. Some of you say, I've got a very high pain tolerance. But for the most part, we try to avoid as much pain as possible. We try to stay far away from it. It's why we buy fire insurance. It's why we buy flood insurance. It's why we buy life insurance. It's why we buy medical insurance, homeowners insurance. And for some of you, and I've joined this group, pet insurance. Yeah, we just got a dog this week. So now I found out it's good to have pet insurance. There's another 50 bucks a month. Why? Because we are risk averse. And so we want to minimize any risk that might come our way. And so we have all this insurance because we want to minimize the risk. But you know what? Fire, Fire insurance is only good after the fire. Flood insurance is only good after the flood. Life insurance, sadly, is only useful if someone passes away. But what do you do while you're going through the fire? See what I mean? What are you doing while you're going through the storm? What are you doing when the person is terminally ill? You see, I don't need just something after. I need something in it. Because right now, some of you are saying, I'm in it. I'm, I'm not on the other side of this thing looking back. No, no, no. I'm in it. And I was reading my Bible in Isaiah chapter 43. This is what God said. He said, when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the waters, I will be watching you. No, it's not what he says. Jesus says, I will be with you. And then he says, when you go through the fire, when you go through a fiery trial, when you go through something difficult, God says, I will not be watching you, clapping for you, cheering for you. I will be there 
with you. You see, you need something more than just an insurance that helps you afterward. You need a Jesus. You need a God who is right there in the middle of the mess and the middle of the pain in the middle of the suffering that you may be going through. And that's what's so important about scripture. And I think that's why you are all so smart to come on a Sunday morning and where you say, hey, I need something because I'm going to be going through something. The Bible says when you pass through the waters, it didn't say if you go through it didn't say if. Hey, just watch enough news and you'll realize it's not if you're going to go through hard times. It's a matter of when. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to uh, use fear. I'm just saying it's when we're going to go through difficult times. And for some of you right now, you're like, not life is good, man. It is awesome. I got a new job. I got a new place. I got a new car. I got a, uh, a new relationship. And things are just really going well. And it'll be really tempting for those of you who things are going really well to say, you know what? This message really doesn't apply to me. It'd be really easy for you to say, you know, life's pretty good. I'm just going to kind of, you know, take notes for the next guy over here. But the problem is you train for the trial that you're not yet in. You say, what do you mean? Too often what we do, and I love the quote by one of the late presidents, uh, John F. Kennedy. He said, it's the wrong time to repair the roof during the rainstorm. That's not the time to repair the roof. It's time to repair the roof before that. You see, you don't, while you're going through the trial, say, oh, hey, what do I need? We need to be preventing or proactive with the trial. You know difficulty is going to come. So let's arm ourselves with the knowledge and the truth and the wisdom that is found in God's word. And let's take that to heart and say, hey, one day something's going to happen. Hey, by last estimate, by last count, 100% of people pass away. None of us are going to live forever. And I wish you all would. That'd be awesome. We are all going to pass away one day. And if we know that, why don't we right now say, hey, one day there's going to be some suffering. How do I prepare for it? Because too often, here's what happens. When in a marriage, if a child dies, there's a very high percentage of divorce in that relationship because of the passing of a child. Just statistics. Whenever there is great suffering, there's really high statistics that that's when people leave the church because they often feel like they need to blame God for their struggles. They often want to blame him for why things are going so difficult. And instead of realizing that, hey, difficult times are going to come, let me prepare for them, they don't. And then when the difficult times come, they're surprised by suffering. Let's not be surprised by suffering. Let's uh, go in with eyes wide open. So we need to train for the trial we are not yet in. But the big idea we're going to roll out with the next six weeks is that pain is paralyzing. Pain is paralyzing. I've met people that the pain that they feel on their day-to-day basis, if they don't have just the basic medication from their doctor, they can't get up and walk, they can't function, they need just the basic pain meds. Otherwise, they can't get up for that day. Because why? Their pain is paralyzing. And for some of you, there's a pain in your past that has kept you paralyzed. You've never been able to move past it. There's this pain that you've never grown beyond it. There's a pain that's holding you back from the growth that God wants you to experience. So how do you get to the point where you no longer allow your pain to stop your progress? 
And we're going to roll that idea out over the next six weeks. And I'm going to unpack that. And I'm going to do it kind of slow. I know we're in that, you know, I want it really fast. But I'm going to kind of pull a uh, Star Wars on you where you're going to have to wait for a couple of years for this thing to really roll out, okay? Some of you waiting a long time for this next Star Wars. And you're like, two months, too much, you're counting down. And I'm right there with you. But you know what? We're going to kind of unpack this over the next six weeks. And I know you're all going to be here for the next six weeks. You're all going to come back. I just know you. You're awesome people. So I know you're going to stick with me. Well, the Bible should be open to Job, not Job, chapter number one. And if you don't have your Bible, that's fine. It'll be in your worship guides if you receive them. If you would like a Bible, just raise your hand. And we've got two ushers. They'll hand you one. And that's a gift for you if you want it. You say, yeah, yeah, I want the feel of a Bible. If you just lift up your hand, they'll get it to you. If not, it'll be up on the screen or it'll be inside of your worship guide, okay? So if you see anybody that you need a Bible, our ushers will be there to help you, okay? I'm going to begin reading chapter one in verse number one, okay? Here's what the Bible says. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. The word eschewed means he hated evil. He hated anything that had to do with evil. He hated anything that was bad, anything that was, uh, that was wrong. He just he didn't want anything to do with it. This is a good guy right here. This is an awesome guy. But I want you to see what happens to this guy because he's the hero of the story. Verse number two, and there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Here's a great man, a good man. And I want you to see what happens to this good and great man. All right, because a lot of times we feel like, you know, I'm a good person. Why am I? Why am I going through? Does God hate me? And I want you to see it right here. I'm going to skip down to verse number six. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves to the Lord, for the Lord and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and from the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, this is where I, I, I'm kind of like, God, why would you do that? Okay, think about this for a second. Think, think, think. I don't know about you, but I was the kid in school that if the teacher wanted to ask a question, I was the one that said, you know what? As soon as the teacher looked for somebody, I, I kind of put my head down and I kind of shrunk down. Didn't want to be noticed. Just, just fly under the radar. That's me. Just, just, I'm just here, to, just here to get an education. Just leave me alone. I don't know the answer. What is it, you know? And then as soon as you start dropping your head just a little bit, it's like the teacher's like, yes, Makai, well, you have the answer. And I'm like, I really don't. Why? You know I don't. And it's like God saying, hey, Job, you're doing great. Life is perfect. Hey, I'm ready to just screw that all up. Satan, have you seen this guy? Now, you think for a second. Satan is enemy number one, okay? He is the most epically evil person in all of time. And God says, hey, Satan, hey, I know you haven't gotten to mess with anybody for a while. Have you thought about messing with Job? God, why would you do that? And some of you, that's how you feel. You're like, God, things are going really great. And did you just like alert Satan to me? Because I mean, there's lots of other bad people that I could give a list to. Why are you doing this to me? And we're going to kind of keep unpacking that because I just got to see the irony in that. Just almost need to see the humor. And here, let's continue reading after God says, hey, Satan, have you considered him? And I love the fact that look what God has to say about this guy, Job. This is awesome. What's even more incredible is the fact that you and I get to kind of eavesdrop on the situation. 
Because you've probably wondered, what does God think of me? And I'm going to tell you what God thinks of you because he's going to use the exact words for Job. And here's what God said. He said, do you consider my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? Wow. God says, there's nobody like Job. He's a snowflake man. There's nobody like him. This guy's awesome. He's incredible. And he goes, he says, he's a perfect man. He's an upright man. And he fears me. And he hates evil, which means he hates you, Satan. No, 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 no. No, that's kind of, you know, what God did. All right? And so here is Satan. All of a sudden, Satan says, this is what he said. He answered the Lord and said, Job fears you for not. He says, I know why. Satan said to God, I know why Job fears you. Because you're blessing him. And he says, he said, you put a hedge of protection about him and about his house and about all that he hath on either side. Satan says, yeah, I've considered this guy. I've tried to get to him, but you've got your angels around him. The Bible says we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We are surrounded by this protection. We have this. And Satan said, yeah, God, I've tried to get to him. I've tried to mess up his marriage. I've tried to mess up his life. I've tried to get him out of church, but something's stopping me. Aren't you glad to know that Satan needs God's permission to mess with your life? Right now, take comfort in that. That if you're going through something different, it is by the permission of God. Because God knows how much we can handle. Let's continue. But put forth thine hand and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon him put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now verse number 14. And there came a messenger unto Job sometime later. And the oxen were plowing, and the asses were feeding beside him. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain thy servants at the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came to him another servant, said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. And I am only the one to escape. While he was yet speaking, here's the third one, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out with three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, and have slain the servants at the edge of the sword, and I am only the one that escaped alone to tell thee while he was yet speaking the fourth servant came there came also another and said thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house and behold there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and i am only escaped alone to tell thee then job arose he rent his mantle he shaved his head and he fell down to the ground and he worshiped and he said naked came i out of my mother's womb naked shall i return The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job, sin not, nor charge God foolishly. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for those that are gathered here. I pray right now that you would speak to hearts. I know some in here are going through some very difficult circumstances. And I pray that this message would be exactly what they need. I pray for those that things are going pretty well, that they would take this message and they would hide it in their heart and that they would call it to remembrance when they go through something difficult. I know so many people who each and every day, they, 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 they struggle with great pain and I, I'm encouraged by their faith and their courage helps me. And I pray this morning that your word would speak and we have power and free course. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pain is paralyzing. Are you allowing your pain to stop your progress? You say, but, but, but how, how, how do we get our pain so it doesn't stop? I've come to a point in my own life, and uh, for the last, oh, six months, I've been working out at CrossFit and, uh, and trying to hit new goals, trying to attain new heights. And I uh, know I'm never going to be super large, but I'm just trying to go to that next level. And I was talking to the coach and the trainer. I said, hey, 
I've changed up my diet. I've changed up the way I live. I've changed up my sleep habits. I've changed everything to get a little bit better, but I'm just not quite going to that next level. He said, the only way that you're going to go to that next level is when you tell yourself that you can handle a little bit more pain. He said, because until you tell yourself that even though my lungs are bursting, even though my calves are on fire, even though my arms are burning, my back feels like it's breaking, that until you tell yourself that you're going to take a little bit more, you're never going to go a little bit further. We're going to have to get to the point where we say, you know what, it is painful here, but I'm going to get to the point where I want to go to the next level in my faith. I want to go to the next level in my relationship. I want to go to the next level in my job. I want to go to the next level with my children. I want to go to the next level in whatever area of your life where you just feel stuck. And it's going to take you getting out of that paralyzing pain. And it's going to be a choice. But over the next six weeks, we're going to dig this out. But I want to give you a framework to work with this morning. First of all, I'm going to lay this out real quick. This is going to help you OCD people. Number one, there is the source of suffering. Number two, we're going to talk about the course of suffering. And number three, we're going to talk about the force of suffering. Okay? There you go. You can pack it up, close it. You can go home now if you want to. Great day in church. God bless you. Tithe on the way out. Just kidding. All right? Let's unpack this. Some of you are like, yes, finally, free day. No, uh uh-uh, no. Let's keep reading, all right? There's the source of suffering. Where does suffering come from? I mean, haven't you asked yourself that question? I mean, come on, you're going along your way. You're a great mom. You're a great dad. You're a great son. You're a great daughter. You're in church. You're trying to read your Bible. You're trying to do what's right. You're trying to live right. And all of a sudden, you're looking at your life in comparison to your friends who they're not trying to do right. They don't ever go to church. They don't treat their spouse well. They don't treat their children very well. But how come it seems like their life is so much better than your life? And I don't know about you, but sometimes that bothers me. And we can use my life as, as kind of the uh, a guinea pig here because I can look at others and I'll say, God, but I, I, I'm in the church and I've given my life for this. And how come I'm going through tough times? And how come I don't have as much finance as them? And how come I can't do the things as they can do? And I start thinking, God, what have I done to deserve, to deserve this suffering? And many times I meet a lot of people that they ask the why question. God, why me? And it's a valid question. It's a very valid question. Jesus asked that question. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's not a wrong question. But too often we get hung up on that why. And in this passage, we realize that the Bible even said in verse number one, the Bible says that Job, he was a perfect man. He was upright. He feared God and he hated evil. So did this guy deserve any of the bad things that happened to him? He lost all 10 of his children. He loses all of his wealth. And we're going to see in chapter 2, he's even going to lose his health to the point where he's just broken. To the point where his friends come and they don't even recognize him. I want you to understand something. This may help you if you write it down. Your suffering does not always have to do with your sin. And many of you right now, you think, it's because God's punishing me because something I did way back when. I said it last week. I said when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took the punishment for sin. He took all past punishment and all future punishment. He took your sin and he paid for it. Now, we understand that there are some things the Bible does say you're going to reap what you sow. If I get into a car intoxicated and I wreck it and the guy with the blue and red lights finds me, guess what? I'm going to jail. And I can't say, you know what? No, officer, don't you know? 
Jesus took this punishment for me. I don't need to go to jail. I don't need the DUI. I don't need to have a ticket. I don't need my license taken. Jesus paid it. And you can even start singing that song. It's not going to matter. Jesus paid it all. No, the guy's not going to care. All right. He just said, no, no, no. There are consequences for blatant disregard for the law. But for some of you here this morning, you're looking back on your life and you're saying, God, I've tried to do the right thing. And I'm looking over my life and I'm saying, God, I believe there's innocency inside of me. Even David said this. He said, God, keep me back from the great transgression. Meaning, God, is there something I did that I wasn't aware of? God, forgive me of that. And God says, I'm not going to hold you accountable for that. So you need to understand, you may be going through a difficult circumstances, and some of you feel very guilty. And I want you to have a little bit of freedom, a little bit of peace this morning in understanding that your suffering is not always connected with your sin. Now, we do understand that ultimate suffering is because of sin. You say, what do you mean? Our great, great, great forebears, Adam and Eve, they did sin. And they broke fellowship with God. And because of their decision... Sin has created a rift. Things do not function as they should. It's like cancer cells that are destroying the body. It, you can function, you can get along, but it's never as optimum. It's never like it should be. And so we understand we live in a fallen world, but we need to understand we don't need to be haunted by hindsight. And too many people are never moving forward because they're constantly looking back and wondering, is God just around the corner waiting to beat me over the head for something I did? That's not how God, God is looking at you, okay? So you need to understand the source of suffering. Number two, there's the course of suffering. What way, how is this thing going to play out? And someone has wisely said that our pain Pain is our passport. And that's true. Your pain is taking you somewhere. For some of you, your pain is taking you very angry, very lonely, very bitter place this morning. That's where your pain is taking you. Because your pain is a passport. For some people I've met, their pain is a passport into very good things. There are people that they've overcome addictions. There are people that have overcome diseases. And we can hear about them. There's an amazing story about a man by the name of Nick Wojciech. He was born with no arms, no legs, travels all over the world, preaching the gospel, but then inspiring people to live beyond their limits. Here's a person that he allowed his pain to become his passport in a great way. So your pain is taking you somewhere this morning. You need to recognize that, and you need to say, where is it taking me? Am I a very angry person? Am I upset that I never got the break in college like I should have? Am I angry because the job didn't see my full potential? Am I mad because that person left me in that relationship? Am I upset because my parents aren't treating me the way I always want them to, and so now I have an excuse to lash out and be rebellious, slam doors and yell and scream and throw and break things? Or, or how am I allowing my pain to help me? Because for some of you, your pain is a very healthy thing. You say, what do you mean? Because when I go through a financial crunch where I'm feeling the strain, the pain of tight finances, guess what? I don't go spending anymore. That's a good pain. It helps me to have a little plastic surgery, cut up the credit cards. Hey, when I'm not feeling real well and I haven't been eating right, there's a pain that happens and that pain drives me to what? Live healthy eat healthy. That's a good pain. Hey, when my teeth start hurting, there's a good pain. It reminds me that, hey, you might have an abscess. There might something happen. You need to take care of that. When your body hurts and aches, and if you break an arm, you say, hey, that bone's out of joint. I wonder what that is. That pain is a good thing. And so you need to allow that pain take you to the right place. But some of you, here's what you do with your pain. You complain, complain, complain. That's what you do with your pain. And you're a broken record. Can I tell you what? Complaining is just going to get you nowhere. Matter of fact, there's no gain when we complain. Touch your neighbor and say, you don't gain when we complain. 
We don't gain when we complain. It's practical, it's short, but you need to understand, so many people, they just go through work and you avoid them at your office because you know that all they're gonna do is just complain. Did you see my review? I'm worth so much more to this company. I do so much for this company. Oh yeah, what are you doing right now? Nothing, because I'm mad about my review. Well, guess what? This is all you ever do. You complain about everything. And the bosses see that. I see it. Nobody wants to be around you because why? Just complain, complain, complain. Hey, husbands, do we just come home and complain, complain to the spouse? Oh, I was treated like this and I'm angry at this. So just give me some Doritos and I'm going to sit here and watch TV the next five hours. Where is your pain taking you? Because some of us, our pain is taking us to very unhealthy places. I've met some very bitter and angry people. Some very people that they wonder why they have stomach ulcers and they wonder why they're so angry at the world and they wonder why that nobody wants to be around them and it's because they haven't allowed their pain to take them to a healthy place so we need to see pain has a course the course of suffering and i want you to understand that god says hey i will help you and here's job he is broken he has fallen and here he is thinking hey where am i going to allow this pain to take me and i want you to see this because in chapter two job's wife comes to him And in verse number seven and eight, Job's wife comes to him, not to comfort him, not to put her loving arms around him and say, it's going to be okay. We can have more kids. We can start over. No. Instead, she says to Job, why don't you just curse God and die, dude? What? Some kind of woman, right? Like, man, you know, I found it interesting that there are some people Satan takes out of your life and there are some people he leaves. Because he knows that person he's going to leave will do more harm than good. And it's interesting that there she was and Satan left her in his life. And here she was not encouraging, not helping him. But here's what's the amazing thing that Job responded back to her. He said, and I don't recommend this husbands, but he said, oh foolish woman, you're foolish. He said, look at all the good that God has done for us. We would be foolish to turn our backs on him because he'll never turn his back on us. And some of us, we're at the point we're about ready to say, all right, God. That's how you're going to do me? Fine. I'm out of church. I'm out of this relationship. I'm out of this job. Forget it. And I see a lot of people do it. A lot of people just ready to just walk out, ready to just quit. But I want you to understand, I call it through and through. Whatever you're going through, you're going through. You say, what do you mean? Whatever you're going through, you're going through, buddy. And I wish, I wish you weren't. It breaks my heart to hear of your, your pain. Oh, man, if you're going through something, I hurt, Jane hurts, we get down, we pray, and we ask God, Lord, please bless these people. God, help them. They're going through a hard time. And, Lord, you know they're good people. And, Lord, I don't understand why they're suffering, why they got to go through difficulty. And as soon as we hear for or hear, hear that news, we just want to go to the throne of grace and ask God, God, do something. Help them. And then God responds back, I am. You see, they're going to go through this, but they're going to go through it. For some of you right now, you're not sure how you're going to make it through. You're not sure how you're going to pay the bill. You're not sure how the relationship's going to turn out. You're not sure how the job's going to figure out. You're not sure how things are going to turn out. But I'm telling you this morning, what you're going through, you're going through. When you're going through hell, don't stop. Don't stop. It's not time to pick and say, hey, let's have a picnic and just rest here. No, it's time to keep on going. That's the time to keep on moving. Because God says, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. I'm there with you. Not after the fire, not after the flood, but in the middle of it, God says, I'm there. The three Hebrew children, they stepped into the fire and there God met them. Peter walked out on the wave and there Jesus met him. Every time you step out, God says, I'm already here. I'm here waiting for you. I'm here to help you. So what you're going through you're going through. So don't stop. Don't give up. One history professor said this. He said, if Christopher Columbus had turned back, no one would have blamed him. 
But nobody would have remembered him either. How often we just are ready to turn back. But what you're going through, you're going through. But I need you to understand also, God has to prepare you for what he's prepared for you. You know it to be true. You don't just throw a new employee in a tough position. You train them. You prepare them. Hey, some of you understand this. When it came to teaching your children how to drive, you didn't just, hey, here's the keys. Good luck. Have fun. No. You prepared them for what's prepared, prepared for them. See, God understands something about you. He understands your full potential. He understands the dreams that he's placed in your heart. He understands the calling that he's placed upon your life. And the calling is big. The dreams are big. The vision is big. And God says, hey, the bigger the dream, the bigger the vision, the more I have to prepare you. Hey, get this. I try to lift heavy. I try to lift a lot of weight. Guess what? I don't just walk up and just lift it. There takes the preparation to lift the heavy weight. And for some of you, you're like, God, how come I can't just lift the weight of this relationship and put it back together? God, how come I can't just lift the weight of this financial burden? Because God is saying, hey, I have to prepare you for this. I have to watch how you handle this situation. So I'm going to send these little things into your life that you're saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't understand why you're putting me in this situation. Because God is preparing you. Those of you that are married, that dating phase was a preparation phase. It was, hey, how do we work through little arguments? Hey, how are we going to agree on where to eat? And the guy just realized it doesn't matter where he wants to eat because it's always where she wants to eat, and that's fine. And those are things you got to figure out in the relationship. And uh, there's just things that you just kind of work through, and it's a preparation phase. But too many times, we just say, God, why are you doing this? And God's saying, hey, I'm preparing you for something. You don't see it now. You don't see it right now. But too many times, people give up in the preparation stage. Or they fight the preparation. They get angry at the preparation. Many kids will come up to you, and I was one of them. Why do I have to go to school today? I don't want to go to school. I don't like school. Guess what? School is preparation, isn't it? You need school. School's important. School's how you're going to get to college. College is how you're going to get that right job. And once you get that right job, you can move out of my house. And once you move out of my house, I can be happy and put a spa in your room, all right? So you need to get that schooling so I can get my spa. You're in the way. And so we're constantly trying to, trying to push them to that next level. You see, God wants your character to be able to support you where your charisma is going to take you. We've seen a lot of people that... Man, meteoric rise with a huge explosion. They couldn't handle the pressure. They couldn't handle it. And some of us in our faith, and some of us, we need to understand that right now, God's saying, hey, I know it hurts. I'm preparing you. I'm strengthening you. But then I need you to see the force of suffering. Would you notice at the end of chapter 1, verse number 20, the Bible says, Then Job arose, rent his mantle, and he shaved his head, and he fell down upon the ground, and he wept. That's not what it says. I highlighted that word. I underlined it because I didn't believe it. Stop for a minute. If you were to lose one child, that'd be devastating. And I know some of you, you've you've lost a child. Some of you, you've been through a miscarriage. Some of you, you've lost a relative. And some of you have been through the, the hardest thing to lose one child. I couldn't imagine losing two children. I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine a day without Megan and Austin. Hey, this is weird. I've had a dog for four days. I couldn't imagine my life without a dog. That's weird. 
Except for the fact that it chases cats, and that's a really good thing. I hate cats. Sorry, cat lovers. Please don't leave the church over it. But it's one of those things where, where now I'm just like, man, I can't imagine life without you. I couldn't imagine life without my wife. I couldn't imagine life without them. And imagine not just two children, but three children. What if God took all three of his daughters? God, you took all of my girls. I couldn't imagine. But, but God didn't just take three. God... Four, five, half of my children are gone. Not just, not just over time. It wasn't just cancer. We could say goodbye. He didn't get to say goodbye. That's the worst part about it. That's the hardest part. Some of you have lost people and you never got to say goodbye. Some of you have been through things where you said, you know what, if I just would have known, I would have hugged them a little bit tighter, held them a little bit closer, told them I loved them one more time. Just spent a little bit more time with them. But he didn't just lose five. He didn't just lose six. Or seven. Or eight. Or nine. God didn't leave him even one child left. God said, Job, I love you. But I'm taking all of them. And then for Job, it was custom to shave your head to rend your garments, that's traditional mourning. And be customary at that point to go into a place of mourning over the next 40 days in their culture and to sit silently and quietly. And you, you wouldn't touch any of, any of the deceased things. You wouldn't do anything with it for 40 days. But the Bible says that Job instead found a place to worship. And the word worship means to fall down prostrate. He didn't just worship God standing up. How great is our God. Sing with me. That's not what he did. The Bible says he fell down. The word prostrate has the same language as if when your dog kind of sees you and gets down on all fours and looks up at you. It's a moment and it's a point in your life where you are utterly helpless. And that's where Job was before God. He said, God, you've taken everything. You've left me with nothing. Some of you, it's very difficult right now. You're saying, my job's gone. Some of you, you're like, my health is gone. But you still got your family. You still got your friends. You still got your church. You still got your wife, your husband. Job had nothing. And Satan wasn't done with him yet. And here Joseph said, here Job says, I'm going to worship. How do you do that? I call it Job ate his peas. I don't know about you, but some people don't like peas. For a long time growing up, I didn't like any green vegetable. If it was green, I don't want it. Broccoli, Brussels sprouts, peas, nasty. But Job, Job, he eats his peas. You say, what do you mean? You see, I found something. That when I'm going through something super difficult, the greatest thing I can have is something that Job has. You say, what do you mean? Job has nothing. His money is gone. His health is gone. Everything is gone. You see, Job had something that, guess what? Thieves couldn't steal. That death couldn't take. And Satan couldn't believe it. And a fire couldn't burn it. What do you have in your life? that a thief couldn't steal, that a fire couldn't burn, that death can't take, and that Satan can't believe. What do you have in your life that valuable? Job had perspective. 
You say, what do you mean perspective? I find that oftentimes I can't solve all my problems. I can't solve very many people's problems. But if I find to get around people that help my perspective, help me see the problem differently. I was really worried this week, and, and, I, and I talked to another pastor who had started a church because I said, ah, we're going through some really difficult times. It's really hard. I don't know what to do. And he said, hey, man, I took a church, this situation. We had 400 people. He's like, 400 people. Guess how much money we had in the bank? I was like, a couple thousand. He's like, 400 bucks. He's like, I told the people, if you all just give $2 next week, we'll be able to double it. He's like, I turned to 400 people, and I got to pay all the bills with $400? He's like, it's not happening. It's not happening. And so we began to talk, and he was just an encouragement because he gave me perspective. Hey, my problems didn't change, but I got a new perspective. I got to, to see above it. Hey, I can't solve your problems this morning. I wish I could. I wish I could just uh, pray a blessing over you and your problems just go away or sprinkle some fairy dust and just make it go away. But I can't. But maybe this morning I can leave you something that money can't buy, that death can't take, that Satan can't believe. Maybe I can help you with your perspective this morning. See, Job began to realize that there's power in perspective. Would you touch your neighbor and say, there's power in perspective? There's power in perspective. You say, what do you mean there's power in perspective? Because Job says, in the moment of his greatest tragedy, he says these amazing words. He gets crystal clear on life. And you and I need to get crystal clear on life. He says in verse 21, he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb. He said, I started with nothing. And I'm going to end with nothing. So guess what? I had it all. He said, man, look at all that God gave me. What great clarity. Some of you, you're saying, I'm in the valley, but guess what? A valley is just a, 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 a deep place between two mountains. Hey, you just came and went over a mountain. You're coming down. Guess what? There's another mountain coming. So that's where you're at. You're just in between two mountains right now. You're in between. You're in a low point right now, and you just need the perspective. But when you're down low, your perspective gets blocked doesn't it? It's hard to get the right perspective. So we need to get elevated here. We need to help our perspective. And guess what Job did? Job gets a perspective. And I call it a 360 degree perspective. You say, what do you mean? He said, hey, I came out of my mother's womb naked. That's looking back. He looked back on his life. He said, guess what? I started from nothing. And guess who he's talking to? Himself. We need to start talking to ourselves because the enemy is talking to us and we're listening. We're getting all the negative news. We're getting all the negative press. And there's nobody saying, hey, self, guess what? We're going to make it through. What we're going through, we're going through. Hey, what's happening now, we're going to make it. We're going to keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Come on. Come on. What's that? Finding Nemo? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Come on, Disney fans, Pixar fans. Help me out, all right? So we just need to keep on going. But too many times, instead, we let our perspective get blocked. And so our focus is off focus. And we just think, I'll just give up and quit here. But here's Job. And he's talking to himself. He's saying, hey, self, I started with nothing. And God gave me everything. Ten children children, all the wealth. I was the greatest man in the East. God gave. He looked back and he said, my past is good. He looked back on those moments where, man, the first baby was born. Oh, I'm a proud papa. There's a second baby and a third baby. I got seven sons and I got three daughters. He was blessed. He looked back on those Christmases together, the Thanksgivings together. He looked back on the birthdays together, probably one every month. And he was looking back on all the great times they had. And he looked back and he said, God, you've been good to me as I look back on my life. But he didn't just look back. He understood that perspective that helped him. But so many times we don't get that perspective. The writer in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, his goal for his churches was to help them with their perspective. And he often said it. And I love this. In 
Ephesians, he told the church at Ephesus, who's going through a great struggle, he said this, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's in the eyes of your understanding. What is that? That's your perspective. Hey, I can't fix your problem, but maybe I can help you with your perspective. Maybe I can help you see your problem in a different light. Maybe I can help you as you walk out of here. You understand the problem didn't change, but my perspective changed. And with my new perspective, I can go another day. I can go another moment. And so here he looked back, but he didn't just look back. He looked forward. You say, what do you mean you look forward? He said, naked shall I return. I'm taking nothing with me. Hey, the, the house that I bought, the company I built, The clothes I acquired, the reputation I have, the cars I drive, it's all staying. U-Haul's not following my hearse. When they bury me, that's it. It's over. What clear perspective. You see, many times we get so wrapped up and when the kids scratch the car, you scratch my car. When the kids break the TV, you broke my TV. Kids mess up your favorite thing. It's the end of the world. But guess what? You're not taking that with you. I look at our stuff now. We bought it when we were married. And I told my wife, I was like, I was hoping this stuff would last 20 years. Be lucky to make it 10. Once you get kids, all of a sudden the stuff don't last very long. But guess what? That's okay. It means that there was kids playing there. It means there were kids that were having a good time and they were little girls doing their nails. And now that nail polish is stuck on my table. But every time I look at that table, I think there's a little girl that lives here. And it's my little girl. And it's a little girl that, hey, I'm going to get to take on dates. It's a little girl I get to tickle and hug and have good times and read bedtime stories and kiss at night and, and pray with them. That's my little girl. That's what that nail polish reminds me of. Oh, there's a place in the, the table where a little boy has taken a fork and kind of gone like this. And I look at that table and I think, look at those fork marks. That's my little boy who did that. He's going to be a strong little boy. He's going to be a big guy. Look at those. Those are deep grooves. I mean, I can't fix that for nothing. That's staying there. But man, he's going to be a baseball player, football player. That's my little boy that I get to wrestle with. That's my little boy that I get to chase. That's what that reminds me of. So I look forward to those things. We need to get a a different perspective, church. We need to get a 360 perspective. We need to look all around us and see what God has done. But he didn't just look back. He didn't just look forward. He looked up. He looked up. He said, the Lord gave, the Lord took. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow, church. Here he's looking up to God. He's saying, God gave it to me. God did it. His perspective, it changed as he looked up. He said it was the Lord who have done it. You say this morning, I want you to understand, you can't quit. You can't give up. I remember at our house around Christmas time, I don't know about yours, but my parents, they, they stopped putting the, tr- the presents out under the tree a couple days before Christmas. They just didn't do that. Why? Because they had seven kids. And man, we would find little corners and little places to rip and peek. And, and we'd just get into those presents. And all of a sudden, there'd be a present or two that's just open. And we would point fingers and blame siblings. And we didn't have a dog, but we would wish we had a dog to blame. But we just couldn't. So my parents got smart. So then they would hide the presents in their room till Christmas morning. And nobody saw them. And there was no way to get in there. It was like the fortress, all right? Fort Knox. Couldn't get in there unless you got in trouble. If you'll take one for the team, you can get in the room. So we drew straws. Who's going to be bad? 
Somebody's got to go in and find out what we're getting for Christmas. Somebody's got to go in there. And man, I went through a Lego phase. I wanted Legos so bad. I loved Legos. And I found a special set. And man, I was all about this set of Legos. But Legos, they're expensive now. They were expensive back then. Seven kids. You know, you kind of rotate who gets a good present every year. It's not like every year everybody gets a good present. It's like, yay, socks. (laughs) Sticks to be me, you know. And it's like seven-year rotation, all right, you know. And so I got my Legos when I was 18. Yay. You know, and so it's just kind of like, you know, you just wait till that good present kind of comes along. And so I remember I was bad. And so I went in the room and it was kind of like, yes, my mom's like, what was that? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Where's my punishment? You know, I'm like all ready for it and everything. And she's like, no, dad's going to give it to you. Oh, no. And then my brothers and sisters, they were at the door. They were listening. I don't know if your siblings are like that. My siblings, they love it when somebody else gets in trouble and it's not them. And they just want to like gawk and listen and hear you cry and scream. And so, man, I went through those spankings and man, I came out crying because it was my dad and everything. And I was, I was all distraught over it. And I came out, but there was a twinkle in my eye. There was a pep in my step because the closet was cracked just a little bit. And I got a glimpse of a blue box and a little logo that said Lego. And I saw it. I knew what I was getting for Christmas. I knew what I was getting so I could go through whatever you put me through because I know what's happened because I've seen something. And guess what? You need to get a glimpse of something this morning. You need to get a picture of something that'll help you in your deepest, your darkest moments where you say, I got a picture. The Bible says in John, where he says, uh, I got to read it. Otherwise I'll misquote it. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When you see Jesus, all of a sudden the trials, the setbacks. You say, I can make it. Why? Because we've seen a cross. We've seen an empty tomb. We know he's alive. We know he's risen. We know there's hope. We know that there's going to be another day. We've got a song in our heart. We can keep going. We don't have to give up because we've seen something. We can make it through. So don't quit yet. Don't stop yet. God says, hey, get that 360 view and you just keep going because you've seen something that you can keep going. You've seen something to help you press on. Didn't help you so you didn't give up because there is power in perspective. There's power in perspective. Say it to your neighbor would say with feeling there's power in perspective come on flex your biceps a little bit come on guys there's power in perspective and until you get that perspective you're gonna be walking around like eeyore with your head down your tail somewhere and you're gonna be depressed because you don't have the right perspective this morning so church i can't solve your problem but i hope the word of god will give you some perspective this morning because you need more than anything the gift of perspective also perspective is powered by a praise did you see it Did you see it? He worshiped. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. But I see that he worshiped. See, worship can do what words can't. But then praise was the part of Job's pattern. You see what he mean? And I got to end it on this. Here's Job. How did he just, I don't know about you, but my default mode when I'm upset and bad things happen is not to sing worship music. It's just not. I wish that I was the type that, man, I just, I just pick up the guitar I'll just plug in my amp. And I gather my children around and I gather my wife around. And then we just start singing old Gaither songs. No, I just, I don't do that. No. I probably break the guitar, probably scream at the kids. And it's probably not, hey, gather the ones closest to me close. It's just not my default. So how is his default reaction to fall down before God and to worship God? Because it became his pattern. Because he, get this, trained for the trial. See how important it is to train for the trial? Some of you don't understand. You say, I'm a a long ways off from anything hard. But you train now so you can handle that trial. 
You go to work now. You hide God's word in your heart now. You get yourself some scriptures now. You get some good Christian friends now. You get in a small group now. You get in a church now. You get in a healthy place now. You get your family close to you now. You hug your children now. You tell your wife and your spouse you love them now. You don't wait because we're not guaranteed another day. And so here become his pattern to be grateful. It was his pattern to be thankful. And we see it in verse number five, the last Four words says, this did Job continually. It was his pattern to worship God. So he's not going to do anything else, but even in the midst of suffering to worship God. Why? Because it was part of Job's pattern. See, pain is paralyzing. So are you allowing your pain to stop your progress? You see, I didn't realize this, but Michelangelo, who's a master artist, and he carved the famous David that's in France, and he carved that statue, but I didn't realize something. That when these, these artisans, they pick out a stone, they pick a very special stone. And it has to be the right kind of stone for their carving. But Michelangelo, he found a stone that all the other artists says, no, that's not a good stone. No, I don't want to work with that stone. Michelangelo found a beat up, old, nasty stone that nobody else wanted. You see... You're thinking, man, God, why are you picking me? And God says, because I see the potential in you underneath all those layers. I see, and Job said it, when I am tried, I will come forth as gold. And God says, I see some gold in there. It's kind of sparkling underneath the armor. It's kind of sparkling underneath the scars, underneath the hurt and the pain. I see something glimmering. I see something shining. And God says, I'm just bringing that to the surface. Peace by peace. So as we close, I want you to remember two things this week. Pray for perspective. I know you're praying for, for healing. I know you're praying for the job situation to change. I know you're praying for resolution. And I know you're praying for all these things. I know you're praying for uh, uh, all kinds of great things. And don't stop praying. But in your praying, say, God, would you change my perspective? And this week, just, just say, God, how's my perspective? And then practice pursuing God this week.